Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat and um, get your Bibles out in front of you because um, and get them turned to John chapter 15. We're in a series, Parting Words, the last sermon of Jesus. And uh, listen, here's what <clears throat> we love to talk about around our church is the importance of, of mission, that we're not just here uh, to be a part of uh, uh, the end of and the goal of us gathering is not just to all be a part of Christ's church, uh, one local church, but for us to be a part of the mission that God has, has, has called us to because God is not calling us just to moments, he's calling us to movement and to mission. And so if you want to fulfill the mission of God, we articulate that in our church as loving God, loving others, and making disciples. If you want that to be a part of your life, uh, what is in front of us in this passage today is so essential that we understand it, that it's known and practiced. We've got to understand the distinctions of biblical love. Now back in, at the very beginning of the series in John 13, 34 through 35, we came across this passage. And Jesus, at the very beginning, he said in this sermon, he said, a new commandment I give to you. It was new. He was unfolding it with more clarity. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so then all of the things that we've heard in the series has sort of been all part of sort of unpacking this reality of loving God and loving others and then to prepare us for an even deeper understanding into this topic of loving one another. And so read it with me in John chapter 15 starting in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. What you have in this passage is you have Jesus introing, hey, let's talk about what it means to love one another as I have loved you. So there's a connection between God's love and my love for others. And then he explains it, and at the end he reinforces it. And every once in a while in, in Scripture, you get this perfect little package um, of, of sort of designating this is one clear thought that Jesus is unpacking for his people. And the big move this morning is simply right from this because it's so clear there. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Love one another as Christ has loved you. So let's unpack that together. First, we've used this definition often in defining love and you're going to see why we've chosen it. It's from Paul Tripp and, uh, and this definition of biblical love is, is showcased in this passage. Paul Tripp writes this, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. It doesn't have any expectation 
that love would then be returned to the person who loved, or that the person being loved is deserving. So the very nature of God's love, as we're going to see and unpack, and then the implications for our love, is to be marked by what biblical love shows us. No expectation that's reciprocated, and no consideration of whether the person is deserving or not. Love is to be extended. And that's going to get affirmed and reinforced. There's two responses to this passage that evidence a right response to Christ's words as we process this passage together. As followers of Jesus Christ wanting to be fully engaged in the mission that God's called us to, I promise you, if you engage that with that spirit, you are going to be convicted and challenged by this passage. So let's just walk right at it. Underneath this idea of loving one another as Christ loved you, the first thing I want us to see is that we are convicted by the extent of Christ's love. We're convicted by the extent. It's it's far-reaching than we expected. It, it, is, it is sort of, in that way, it's sort of mind-blowing the extent of Christ's love. And it's beautifully witnessed in this passage. Here and in many other places, you see a distinct connection that Christ's love, the extent of it, becomes a picture of his love and a model for us to follow. A picture and a model. And so, um, the extent of Christ's love is modeled by Christ's sacrifice. Look at the first two sentences of the passage. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He ties together what in other places in the Gospels Jesus outlines as the two greatest commandments, which are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And here, he takes those two and he weaves them together with this idea that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment. It's consistent with what he's outlined earlier. Then he gives in a picture. Greater love has no one than this. The highest, the pinnacle of love, biblical love, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And as we just reflected on in communion... This was a reality at this point when Jesus is preaching this sermon that that is right around the corner. He's about to be betrayed and then go to the cross and die. And it wasn't just a moment that caught him unaware. He knew that was his purpose. Before the foundation of the world, he knew that. The disciples don't quite understand it, but they will very soon. That Jesus, the extent of his love, will be perfectly displayed in his death on the cross. Like, it's why communion is such an important remembrance and rhythm of that in the church, because we need that. We need it to remind us of the extent of his love. We need to be in the midst of so many different models and ideas of love in our world, we need that remembering of what is the pinnacle of love, what's the defining characteristics of biblical love. He laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater display. And church, this isn't just to be some, this idea, this extent of Christ's love is not supposed to be something that we're just like, that's really nice. And it just warms my heart. It's not something even for us just to think about mentally. It's intended to be a model for how we live. 
he calls you to imitate his love. Later, in um, in 1 John, uh, John has a perspective of God's love that is profound. Not only in the Gospels do you see it emphasized, but then in, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you see it come up again. If you want even a deeper unpacking of, of God's love, just read 1st John, particularly chapter three, chapters 3 and 4. Like, look at this in 1st John 3.16. Not John 3.16, that's a different passage, significant, but 1st John 3.16 By this we know love, the definition, the parameters, the reality of love, that he laid down his life for us. Notice now it's in past tense, right? Because Jesus already died on the cross when he wrote this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now the brothers, there is more than men. It's talking about brothers and sisters, all of God's people. And even extending beyond that really with the spirit of it. So how do we know biblical love when it has a characteristic of self-sacrifice? When it's modeled after what Jesus did for us on the cross? That's how we know biblical love. The extent of the sacrifice is the model. And so what our response should be, look what it says. It says we ought to lay down our lives. Ought is a pretty powerful word. If somebody says to you, you you ought to have remembered that, they're saying there was an expectation that you didn't fulfill. Ought means to owe or to be obligated to. Now, let me be very clear here that our love for God, although it's an ought to, it should not have this sort of weight that sometimes ought to's has, right? Like sometimes we're like, okay. I ought to do that. That's the right thing to do, right? And we, we kind of share it almost with this tone of like, I'm just doing what I should do. That's not what Jesus says because what he's saying here is he's communicating to us that, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But previous to that, he says, love one another as I have loved you. When you understand the extent of God's love for you, that sort of captivates you, it fills you in such a way that you have something to give now to others in love that God calls you to. And in that spirit, I'm obligated because why wouldn't I want to because of how my heart's been filled with the love of God? That's the principle. It's self-sacrificial love. It's a model for every believer. The problem And the restraint on love, biblically, for the followers of Jesus Christ is this. It's that one, our culture is constantly trying to redefine the reality of love. In addition, your flesh, your your sinful nature, just like my sinful nature, by default, apart from a consideration and receiving of God's love, listen, your flesh like mine, it doesn't default to self-sacrificial love. It defaults to selfish love. And so we're constantly working against the warring of my spirit and my, my flesh and, and my, my sinful spirit and the spirit of the world. And, and one of the reasons why we struggle to move to willing self-sacrifice for others is because it's painful. Because it's painful. It has a cost. 
that we don't want to pay. In today's unfortunate increasing a snowflake culture, um, people across the board, we have an attitude about, about, about pain. We're like, why am I feeling pain right now? There's got to be something wrong. How do, I, how, do I, how do I medicate myself? I'm feeling pain. I need to medicate it. Or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pain. I need to insulate myself from it. Or, or, or that's going to be painful. I'm just going to avoid it. Our culture in all of its ways has honestly at times uh, communicated a message that we're not supposed to walk through pain or endure it. And so you feel a little bit of resistance or it's too hard or it's too challenging. You feel pain and you're just like, melt. Nope. I'm I'm, going to avoid that. Culture doesn't really teach us or train us to push through pain. To consider that there might be something fundamentally wrong that needs to be transformed in our spirit or in our life or in our soul. Too often we've just been trained to run away from pain or avoid it altogether. And I'm sorry, when it comes to the pain of self-sacrifice, no amount of Tylenol can help. Like, there's no prescription painkiller that can, that, can, that, can, that can numb the pain of self-sacrificial love, willing self-sacrifice. You cannot avoid the call to self-sacrifice. An authentic disciple is going to be convicted by the extent of Christ's love and they are going to look into the remembering of his sacrifice on the cross and they're going to say then, after they consider the vertical component of that, they're going to look horizontally to people in their life, inside and outside the church, and they're going to go, my call is to feel pain and walk in a willing self-sacrifice modeled after Christ's death on the cross. We love to celebrate the cross until Jesus is like, yeah, that's where I actually want you to go. And then we're like, okay, that part of the gospel, can I dodge it? In our homes, in our relationships, I see it again and again. We've got to be willing to endure the suffering of sacrificial love. Now, now, listen, not perfectly, but a growing capacity for it. This is the current upon which you were transformed into the likeness of Christ. Don't miss that. That is the current in which you are formed into the likeness of Christ. The willingness to self-sacrifice aligns you with the person of Christ and in the transformation of that and the joy of it, you start to go, I want that more in my life. I don't love like I did five years ago. I don't love like I did 10 years ago and I certainly don't love like I did 20 years ago. And... In addition, it's required to fulfill the mission. Love God, love others, and make disciples, that requires painful self-sacrifice. The, the motives on, out in the hall in our church that aren't just these ideals, but are things that we really are trying to live out of and have as motives for our lives, rather bold preaching, coming under God's word in all parts of my life, worshiping God as an offering, not, not worshiping self, not, not doing that, but literally shifting my life to a place where I'm exalting Christ, fervent prayer to consider the will and the ways and the works of God to courageous evangelism, to going and risking rejection and 
by sharing the truth of Scripture about who Jesus is and the good news of the gospel to purposeful discipleship to prioritizing time to give to other people to teach and train and encourage and serve so that they might walk with Jesus more closely to strategic multiplication looking to make disciples in my own home and then beyond my home in the church and then reaching other people and multiplying not just disciples, but ministries and churches, it requires a painful level of self-sacrifice. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it a painful self-sacrifice? If it isn't, there's a place in discipleship that Jesus is calling you that you have not yet gone. Just the time required to pursue those things requires a tremendous amount of self-sacrifice in today's culture. Where it's like, do this, entertain yourself here, get consumed over here. And you're like, no, 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 I'm going to sacrifice for the ways and the work of the kingdom of God. It is, if, if we as a church are going to be aligned on those motives, it is going to require not just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It is going to require a daily self-sacrifice. A daily self-sacrifice. But I, like I hope you, are, I am convicted by the extent of Christ's love. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Then this second part of this passage, out of this idea and what Jesus continues with, I'm challenged to extend the love of God. Jesus is going to challenge us to extend the love of God by getting more and more specific about how his love is extended to his people. So again, he gives us this picture, and then he wants us to live it out. So let's look at it. First, the, the character of the way God's love is extended to you is, I, I want you to be as fascinated with the beauty of his, the extension of his love like you would be with anything that you believe is beautiful. Maybe in creation, whether a sunset or the mountains or um, a beautiful summer day, I, I want you to be captivated by this because it's seen throughout the story of redemption, the extension of his love. His love and the, the idea and the reality of love has extended for eternity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly in the Trinity. Then Jesus extended his love to his disciples, then the disciples to the other disciples, and then from there the disciples to the lost world. You see it again and again and again. The character and quality of God's extending love is beautiful. And in this passage, he, he gives us a picture of three beautiful extensions that mark God's love for you. I want you to see it and I want you to be challenged to extend God's love. First, notice what he points to in 14 and 15. He says, he, he, here, he, here the extension is from servants to friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. The, the sweet part and the distinction that I want you to see here is that 
what, what Jesus is highlighting here is that um, as a friend of God, as a follower of Him, you're given access to the Father's heart. I, a servant does what the master says without questioning or conversation. With a friend, the master or the father, he shares his motives and his purposes and his plans. I mean, this is so true for the followers of Jesus. Do you guys realize the privilege that we have in the fact that the revelation of Jesus and the gospel in the New Testament is a beautiful accessing of God's heart. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He gives us his motive behind it. He gives us a glimpse into his affections and his, his motive and his heart at all things and his plans. In addition, he gives us access to the Holy Spirit that, that counsels us and empowers us for, for life and for ministry to others. See, the, the thing I want you to note here is that friends are given more than authority, they are given revelation. This is a powerful gospel reality. It's a powerful extension of love. Let me summarize it like this. Servants receive orders and direction. The primary focus is authority. Friends receive um, they, they receive revelation to lovingly direct their lives. The primary focus is revelation. It's relationship. It has a component to it that is sweet and beautiful. And this extension of love that we see here is, is also seen in healthy, godly parenting. I'm, I'm increasingly um, frustrated and I think sorrowful over the ways that some ideas of of manhood in our culture has seeped wrongly into the church. That sometimes I think this idea of fatherhood is this idea of sort of this autonomous authority figure, right? So many of us in this room I know have languished and struggled under a high authority structure that never moves to the relational component of revelation. And, and so, so what happens in, in wise, godly parenting, that's also a picture of this move from, from, uh, from servants to friends is, it's a move in parenting of I'm telling you what to do to I'm reasoning with you about why. Amy and I have strived at a young age to welcome and process the why with our kids. Like zero to five, not a lot of time for why. Okay, more authority. At five and beyond, start to process the why. I was talking with one of our staff people this week. He was talking about two of his boys, one older than five, one younger. He's like, there's times when I'm like, you get the why, you just please, just please obey. And there's a difference. They can't quite process here, but they can process there. And there's a father's heart that it moves from authority to revelation and says, I want to share with you the motives and the purposes and the plans, yes, informed by God's word because it's reflective of what the father has taught me in revelation. That this walk as a, as a follower of Christ isn't this like obligatory sort of all rights and wrongs and just commandments and rules to follow. But there's a revelation he's given us that's beautiful and sweet and loving. 
So we're not staying in a posture of authority. It's the same thing with God. He, he still has authority, let's not uh, be mistaken, but there's a character of that that's beautiful. See, you're given special favor with God by being a friend, but you're not an equal to God. Don't, don't try to bring God down to the reality of, of you, but, but hold him in high regard. But his nature towards you is not just for you to be a servant of him, but also to be a friend. In addition, you're still called to be a servant. They, they run together. One has sweetened the reality of the other. So the first way you see God's love is extended is from servants to friends. We're challenged to extend the love of God and that we want people to experience that reality of God, don't we? And then second, this from orphan to adopted. First part of verse 16, uh, you hear this. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, this is completely different from the historical norm. Let me explain. At this time, it was, off, it was very commonplace for um, people that wanted to grow or develop or learn that they would identify a rabbi or a teacher who had a method of teaching or a way of leading his disciples and they would go, I want to follow that rabbi or that teacher. It was commonplace for them to follow them around and learn from them. They chose the rabbi. It's different here with Jesus. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It highlights in this passage the ridiculous privilege of being chosen by God. This, this is a reality that being chosen just in general has such an impact on your heart, doesn't it? The first time you were chosen for something, even if it was just simply a job, and you were like, hey, I got a bunch of candidates and we've chosen you. It, it fills your heart in ways. Any of you who are familiar with professional sports knows that um, for professional sports, from time to every year, they have a draft, right? And, and, and the sports draft has become more and more popular and, and televised, and everybody who's a fan of the team is like hoping the right person gets drafted that can change the direction of their team, and all the athletes uh, come to these places where they've given their life to try to get to the pinnacle of the sport, and they're just like, I just want to be drafted. And, and, and although not as common today as it was in the past, being drafted creates this almost like, that even if you didn't grow up in Detroit or Kansas City or Chicago or wherever, getting drafted by that team creates this powerful loyalty between the player and the team. You see this again and again. Sometimes the loyalty that they experience causes this player to, have, to, to want to stay with the team for their entire career. It's rare, but it still happens all the time. I talked to Chris, our local Michigan sports expert, and he told me there's some pretty famous um, uh, players that stayed with some of the teams in Michigan for their entire career. Al Kaline for the Tigers, Justin Abdelkader for the Red Wings, and Barry Sanders for the Lions. There's something powerful about being chosen. There's loyalty that comes. There's a, a deep joy that comes from it. Now listen, church, way more powerful, way more valuable than being chosen by a professional sports team is to be chosen by God. 
Like, to be adopted by God, to be like, you were an orphan, you had no one, you had no um, eternal family around your life, you were actually condemned then to separation from God for, for eternity, and Jesus comes in and he says, I chose you. Like, you've, you've, you've just got to sit for a moment in this, you've just got to drink it in. Because some of you, because of the reality of your perception of yourself may be impacted by other people or just a general, even sometimes what people can have is just a, a, a quick self-hatred towards yourself or maybe that's been imposed on you by others. Maybe by authority figures who should have loved you better and treated you better and there's a deficit in your soul. And you live with that, you you look in the mirror and you feel that and you see that and you repeat these things over your mind again and again and they're competing thoughts with the reality that Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. He doesn't even allow you to cheapen it like, like hey, you decided. He goes, no, 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 no. I chose you. I chose you. I loved you before the foundation of the world and some of us this morning need to drink that in. From orphan to adopted, God's love extended. And then finally this, from inward to outward. From inward to outward. So let's just, let's just try, I want to make sure we understand this move. Because now this starts to get really personal. Everything we've sort of considered has been talking about maybe this model for, for showing people God's love, but there is a move that God's love always does that's inward doubt. So I want you to practice right now. It'll kind of loosen you up in the middle of the message, okay? So don't hit the person in front of you, but just I want you to feel the reality of inward. You can be very relaxed in your arms, but start to move them outward and just feel it. And just feel yourself extending. Maybe some of you need a little back stretch this morning. You can get a little extra if you need that. And I just want you to feel the extension of inward to outward. Inward, comfortable, easy. Outward starts to stretch and you start to feel a movement outward. This is this last part that Jesus uh, shares with us. I, I, you have to see this clearly because you're not just chosen. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We just kind of drank that in. What's the word after chose you? What is it? It's and. It's and. I wasn't trying to trick you. It's simply and. It didn't end. There was no period. He didn't just say, but I chose you, period. He could have, right? He's God. He could have stopped. Just, I chose you. I'll take care of the rest. Sit back and chill. No, he said, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then in the midst of that happening, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You were not just chosen. You were appointed with a purpose. It's one thing to give dignity to create in the image of God, but it's a whole other thing to appoint, to purpose. You're appointed to go and bear fruit and that your fruit abide. 
And then there's a call to prayer that God would supply what you need as you're faithful to the mission. You're called to extend from inward to outward. You're not just a res- a, someone who receives God's love, but you have a responsibility to extend it, to go. Note this, extension of love always leads to mission. An extension of love always leads to mission. You were appointed to go. And the fruit here, the fruit here is not, is not like um, the fruits of the Spirit. It, it, it certainly has that as part of it. But the primary picture of fruit here is disciples being made. In whatever way that might be. People coming to Christ or disciples being formed in the context of the church. The idea of being appointed and going has all of that as a part of it. We have a purpose. People coming to faith in Christ who then are faithfully abiding as disciples. It's disciples making disciples. It is strategic multiplication. Okay, so if we're supposed to be disciples who are making disciples, then what is the nature of that? What should it look like? When you, when you immerse yourself in this idea in the New Testament of what it means to go, it, you get all sorts of pictures from everywhere in God's word. You've got passages like 1 John 3.18 that says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and, true, and in truth. You have Mark 16.15 or 1 Corinthians 1.17, calling people to proclaim or to preach the gospel. So you start to see that there's this idea of words and deeds. Paul in Ephesians 6 asked the people to pray for him that the words may be given so that he could proclaim the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 reminds us that you should share the hope of Christ when people ask you about it, but you're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. And so there's this nature that's marked by love but it's supposed, to, it's supposed to have with it both word and deed together. And unfortunately in the church what's happened is, is that we've tended to go to one or two, one of the extremes in this, right? We tend to go to an extreme instead of wrestling like 1 John 3.18 that it's not just word or talk but deed and truth. So, so let me just make sure you're, you're clear. Here's some of the extremes that we go to. One extreme over here is it's word, no deed. It's like, I just want to communicate the truth to you, maybe with no consideration for whether it's harsh, whether it's in the context of love. I'm just going to communicate the truth. I'm going to communicate it as fast as possible. I'm just going to give you the truth, but, but I don't need to or move into deed or there's just an uncomfortability in that. So it's word, no deed. It's very common in a lot of ways in our culture. But in, in the Christian world, if, if we just are word, no deed, what will happen is people might convert to our idea of truth, but outside the context of love, it will be false converts who don't really understand the work of God's love and the way that that supplies the, 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 the warmth and the beauty and the depth of discipleship. It will just be this idea of I'm just supposed to obey the truth. That's the problem if it's word, no deed. Now the other place over here, the person can go, um, this is deed, no word. So this is the person who's like, you know what? How I share Christ is just by living a loving example of Jesus to people. I want to be warm and caring and generous, but with no word, 
we create not false converts, we create false supporters. They're like, I love how loving that person is. They're so nice to me. But if they actually knew the cost of discipleship, if they actually knew what you believed about the nature and the person of Jesus, you might find that their support of you is going to go away quickly. Or, or the words that are spoken could awaken somebody to the reality of the gospel. And you could see them come to faith in Christ. So you don't just want to be over here where it's deed, no word, but you also want to be over here where it's word, no deed. What you want to do is wrestle in the middle. And some of us are going to find ourselves just a little bit quicker to communicate, and we're going to have to work on love, and some of us are going to be over here ready to love people, and we're going to have to have the courage to express the gospel with words. And, and in the middle, we here's, here's what you need in the middle. You need the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. That's what you need. And any place that we remain where we're, we're dependent on God, we don't have it figured out, is always our safest place as the followers of Christ, right? And so I want us to keep wrestling for balance. Christian parents, you're not called just to make converts and you, and you, can, you can win yourself some, some, uh, some supporters, but when you call them to the gospel, uh, you're going to find out where their heart's really at. We're called to a, ba- a balance, both love shown and love spoken. Love shown and love spoken. We're called to make disciples. It's love shown and, and truth spoken in all contexts. And I mean this, in the church and outside the church to the lost. Let's not, let's not try to divide these things as though they're different because in the church it should be a balance between in the church and now I can't come over here and just be like, I'm just going to give you the truth and you're going to receive it. No, I want to also love you and feel the tension of that in the church and outside the church. Love shown, truth spoken. Both of it. I, I, I had a conversation with some students this week that was super sweet for me. And, and in that conversation, I just, I, I said to them, and their students have been really committed to our student ministries. And I, I said to them, like, don't, you've got this great community, but, but don't just think about the community. Think about the people that you can reach. And, and go, you're appointed to this, to bear this fruit that has borne itself in your life. So look for other students and other people in the context of student ministries and in the context of the church. And we, we talk about this with our community groups all the time. Like think outward. Think outward. The extension from inward to outward should be a constant move in our lives. We're appointed to go. Because church, there's nothing that we should celebrate and rejoice in more than the fruit that abides that abides in Christ. Disciples then walking in the fullness of their discipleship and then making other disciples. This week, I sat with a man. I, I ran into this guy at, at High Five during the kids thing and the Lord was just, the Spirit of God was just leading me like, hey, you know, connect with this, connect with this guy. And so I met with him in my office this week and just was like, hey, hey, what's been going on in your life? Like, just give me, give me your story a bit because I knew he'd been coming to our church but I couldn't remember for how long and he shared with me his testimony. This man walked into our church in December, sat over in this area at the end of the service. I remember distinctly, he was a mess. Just weeping, confused, struggling, wrestling with addiction. And, 
And I honestly met with him, and I remember, I think there was some other staff. I was like, hey, can we get around this guy and care for him? And this guy told me that in the subsequent weeks after coming, he was into a number of things that were unhealthy for his life and in a really bad place in his marriage. And over the coming weeks, he came to faith in Christ. And, and this man in our church got cared for. He's now in a community group. His wife's coming now to our church. This week he's telling me and asking me questions about how to reach his kids for Christ, who he, know for, he knows that for years he neglected them. And now he's on mission. That's a beautiful picture of the fruit that abides. Just invited to church. Just the gospel shared with him by somebody who comes to our church. In addition, I was reminded this week of a student last summer who was going through a crisis and I remember meeting with them and then I, I went up to summer camp just to encourage our high schoolers and just be there and, and I saw this student worshiping and I was like, oh my goodness, what happened? Because the posture in which I had met them previously and what I saw at camp, I was like, a gospel landed. And that student is still displaying an awesome joy and commitment to Jesus. Listen, church, more of the fruit that abides. It starts with us recognizing and, and, and feeling the call and the appointment to go from inward. This is comfortable. This is not you're moving yourself into areas and spaces and places that's not comfortable, that might be painful. Sometimes you might find somebody that's ready to receive what you're offering, and sometimes you're going to get a slap on the hand, both in the church and outside the church. But I am convicted by the extent of God's love, and I'm challenged to extend the love of God. Amen? And so, so, so to a degree that as I was processing this message and thinking about this in our, in our, in our preaching calendar, uh, next week we've got a friend in town um, that's going to be preaching, and I'm so excited uh, to have him in our church, but uh, following this that week, so starting on June, July 16th, we're going to take a break and exit out of this call to love, and we're going to go even deeper. We're going to take three weeks, and we're going to study through 1 Corinthians 13. Just because I'm like, God, I, I want this more. I want this deeper in our culture. Because so much of the fruit that abides depends on and requires our operation and living into the love of God. So, so we've had earlier in the year, uh, we had this summer Bible challenge to kind of encourage you to cultivate your love for God. And, and it sort of has these passages that walk alongside this uh, a series that we're in. But today, I want to challenge you with a a summer 2023 love challenge. I want, not just for you to be convicted and challenged today and then to go home and be like, okay, on to the next thing. I want you to spend the next month as a practice that I'm praying would be extended beyond this as a pattern of your life. I'm asking you to bring before God this prayer, God, would you lead me to self-sacrificing acts of love? I want, to whatever degree you've extended, some of you have been like right here. Some of you are still here and you just need to extend here. Some of you need to extend a little bit further. Some of you have been extended like this and I'm asking, I'm believing that in the power of God that he can extend you even further than you believed was possible. 
And I want you to look for a way to share the gospel, the love of God in word and in deed. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the summer you see your neighbor working on a project and you're just like, hey God, I, I believe I'm supposed to go help them. And as you help them, you're like, hey, I just want to help you out of a spirit of God's love for me. There's just something that God's doing in my heart that's leading me to this. Or, or, or to be at a restaurant and, and to see a table and feel God calling you like, I want to I pay for that meal. And then to communicate them, hey, this is, an, this is a, a picture of God's love. Out of how I've been so richly loved, I just want to show, show you love. Maybe it's in a coffee shop line and, and seeing the person behind you and just saying, hey, I just want you to know how much God loves you. And so I just want to cover this for you. And what he's covered for me is immeasurable. Or maybe it's running into somebody who you know is suffering or struggling in some way in the church or outside the church and just going, hey, can I pray for you? How could I pray for you? Is there a way I could support you and encourage you? Maybe it's running into somebody and just going, hey, I'd love to share the gospel. Maybe that's, a, that's the extension that's, that's ready, that's in front of you right now. But word and deed, word and deed, work to find balance in this. Let the Spirit lead. I want us to focus on this over the uh, next month. And, and I love to hear the testimony of how God's working in and through our church. And so we've set this up on our church app. You got this one place you can go, Summer Love Challenge. And here's what I want you to do. I'm serious. Even if, even if the result of it, I'm not asking, listen, our responsibility is not to convert people to Christ. We don't change people's hearts. All we do is love them, right? All we do is extend the love of God through, through word and deed. So, so if, if God calls you to something in this next month, I just want you to go on our app and I want you to share it with us. There's a simple way for you to do that. You could do it anonymously. We don't particularly want to know names. If you want to share, great. But the last week of that series, when I'm back preaching, I just want to share some of those. And I want to celebrate what God's doing. I want to affirm that in our church, amen? And I want to be stirred up that it's not just for a month, but I want to be stirred up that that would extend. I want you to be praying about ways that that could extend in your life. Maybe the path of your life needs to change where you're intersecting people and you're looking for opportunities to show the love of Christ to them. Imagine what God could do in this season and beyond. If we're stretched by faith with courage to extend God's love. We, as we consider this passage, should be convicted by the extent of God's love and challenged to extend the love of God. Wherever it's at in you, there needs to be an extension. God has given you, he's called you not just servants, but friends. He's, he's called you not orphans, but he's said that you're adopted, you've been chosen, and now out of that love poured into your heart, he wants you to move and to extend from inward to outward. Let's chase that in our faith. Let's pray. God, I'm asking that this would be a deep conviction on our hearts. Spirit of God, would you, would you chase after us with this truth? Love one another as Christ has loved us. Let it define us. Let it be at the forefront of our thinking. Let it correct those moments when our tendency is to move uh, uh, selfishly 
and inwardly. Let it challenge the way that we engage in community in the church. Might even our places of community rally outward while still loving what you're doing inwardly in us. Would our families consider what mission would look like? Would our marriages be compelled by God, not just existing and being good, but, but by how God could use us? And, and would the nature of love become the nature in which we approach one another and the lost world? Where rejected God, let us, as your word says, rejoice. Where received God, would we rejoice in your work because you choose, we don't. In all of this, God, would you deepen love? Would it be the strongest current in our church, both from you and to others? And out of that love, would you help us to lead people to the cross, to discipleship, and let their lives be a fruit that abides? Thank you, Jesus, for this truth. Continue to move it in and through our church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.